Welcome back to the Cockerball Podcast, the weekly look at all things Spurs and the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Uh, and just a reminder that you can follow us on our Facebook page uh, or go to our Twitter at cockandball underscore pod. I'm Tom, aka Fen. I'm your narrator. Uh, and just like Premier League points, you've got to catch them all. So with me tonight is Pallet Town's finest. It's Ash Catchem. <laughs> Good evening. And alongside him is his electric sidekick, uh, a Pikachu as iconic as he is cute. It's Jules. <laughs> You're right, mate. <laughs> and joining us live from his hot air balloon as he tries to steal Pokemon, it's Stockport's representative for Team Rocket. It's Jim. <laughs> Evening, mate. How are you? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Just a, just a quick question to you all, boys. Uh, how enjoyable... Was your Sunday knowing that we were sat very comfortably at the top of the league? <laughs> it was such an unusual feeling, wasn't it? When when was the last time? Is has there been a time we've been top of the league for a weekend? Because it's, it seems to have been a long time ago. If there was, it, it was fantastic. I forgot what it was like to feel so smug. It was great. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, that, that's a bit personal. Coming from Stockport, unbelievable. Um, I can't remember the last time I sat back and watched watched Arsenal, Leicester, Liverpool, Leeds play, and just thought, doesn't matter what you do, like you're all frankly beneath me right now. It was great. <laughs> no, I've not known snobbery like this ever, but throughout my entire history, I've I've never been able to lord it over any other team, and and now look at us. Uh, probably won't last. We're only nine games in. Um, anyway, yeah, that was part of our 2 0 win uh, against City. We weren't quite as positive when we tried to predict this uh, game last week in the podcast, but we did say if we are going to win it, how we won it is probably the only way we were going to do it. Uh, Jules, what, what were you taking away from that game? I thought it was pretty textbook from, from Mourinho. And as you say, it, it wasn't, if I had said to you beforehand, Okay, Son's going to get one, and Harry Kane's going to drop deep. And it's going to be a floated ball over the top. You'd have nodded and said, "Well, yeah, obviously, because that—that's the only <laughs> way we're scoring." Yet we were still able to. Um, but I was more impressed with, I think, our defensive setup. Um, I spoke last week on the pod about the the inside channels and how that's where De Bruyne and you know Bernardo Silva this for for City this week sort of operate in those those areas and how whether or not Hoiberg could kind of neutralise on one side and Suzuki on the other, that was probably going to be where we won the game. I thought they were magnificent. Yeah, I think I was, I predicted a 2-1 last last week, but the more the game went on, even from the 15th minute onwards, the more it went on, the more confident I felt that actually we look comfortable here. They might have the ball, they might be passing it around nicely, but the chances we restricted them to weren't really doing us any danger. They were just crossing it in and, Dyer and Alderweire were absolutely superb at the back. <laughs> Just a note on Pep Guardiola's tactics that you mentioned there. I feel like he, um, he's he got noticed and worked out. So he's trying to figure out. He's overthinking it. So he's like, what if I play my fullbacks as centre mids? No, just play football. You're, you're, their players are good enough to beat anyone. But yeah, it was it was textbook Mourinho. And I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was textbook Mourinho, but it was textbook Pep as well, in a way. Um, the way that that game went was just wasn't surprising in any way, I don't think. Because for quite a while now, Jill's pulled a funny face then. What I, I mean is that... Because Ash the, just sunk his glass of wine. 
for our audio listeners, the Italian man had a glass of red wine, and the Italian man no longer has a glass of red wine. <laughs> Could be ragu. Um, there's been this flaw in uh, Guardiola's teams, and he kind of he seems almost proud of the fact that there's a flaw there, but it's so obvious to everyone else that it feels like it's not one of those kind of perfect imperfections. It's just bad management and I thought for me this whole game was it was about efficiency and energy and and getting the most out of every opportunity efficiency and execution I suppose and uh, like if you looked at Hoybier in particular like just every pass is so clinical you look at how clear the lines are and how how well Spurs are set up to counter City it's just that like you say it's it's textbook Mourinho but it's about just maximizing everything you can with every ball and every move football's about controlling the controllables the biggest one being space and I thought the way that Spurs dealt with City coupled with the way that City very generously allowed Spurs to play that way was just really enjoyable I really like from a neutral point of view I just really enjoyed watching that game and and obviously I would say that because watching City get beat is fun any day of the week but <laughs> I, I i saw a tweet from um barney roney which i thought was spot on it was that um it's, it's nice to know something's never changed like in a year we've had which is this shit where we kind of feel like we're living in an episode of black mirror the fact that Mourinho still plays counter and beats guardiola with an annoying scrappy win with 35 percent of the ball is just proof that we're it, it, it's okay we're not in the matrix all right we're all still here somehow <laughs> I know it was brilliant. What did you think, Fen? Yeah, that was the the reassuring confidence that we needed. That uh, uh, the world is still some. There is some normality in this very surreal <laughs> world. Um, I think a lot of lazy pundits will come out and say, "Ah, oh, classic Mourinho. Uh, he's parking the bus." But I think what Jim was talking about is is efficiency, um, and it's using whatever it was, thirty percent of possession, and turning that into something brilliant. And I think you can. The best example of that is the setup to Kane's disallowed goal. Yeah, and if you watch yeah. that from when we win the ball, we have the ball for about a solid minute before it gets put away, and it's just zigzagged up the pitch. So it's not like a, oh, we've got the ball, let's hit channels. There was more planning, everything was more careful. But I think the biggest reason why the game plan worked on Saturday was man for man, everyone did their job. There was no shirking. Everyone was up for it. Everyone buys into yeah. Mourinho's ethos and methodology now. You can see it starting to really click. And that's the only way that it's going to be successful if all 11 are giving 100% and that happened. There was there was one point in the game that really summed it up. And that was when Gary Neville said that Aurier was smart there, which isn't something I thought I'd ever hear. <laughs> <laughs> but that was... Like you said, everyone to a man, and Hoiberg went even beyond that. I'm not sure if there's even a point having a signing of the season competition because he's he's head and shoulders above anyone that's come into the league this year. We were saying before, weren't we, Ash, that just before we started recording, that there's there were lots of stats going around, and there was it was on match of the day as well about how many more shots City had, how many more were on target, blah, 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 blah. So City had, I wrote it down, they had more than five times as many shots, more than twice as many on target, more than five times as many touches in Spurs' area as the other way around, and 19 times as many crosses into the box. 
none of it matters. <laughs> and people say it as if it's like, oh, well, Spurs got lucky because uh, look at these stats that show how good City are and just none of it worked and they got unlucky. Yeah, City did get a little bit unlucky, I think. And on another day, this is where things like XG come in. On another day, yeah, they'd have scored and maybe it would have gone a different way. But none of that matters. You can stick 19 crosses into the box if you want. If nobody's there to put a foot or a head on the end of it, doesn't matter. You can have five times as many shots. If they're all off target and they don't um, cause any problems for Luis, it doesn't matter. They're just stats that don't really show you anything. And it all speaks to me as to an inefficiency and a kind of profligacy in the way that City play, which I find pretty infuriating, actually. I think they, the thing with City crossing the ball a lot like that, that's something that um, Guardiola started to get his Bayern team to do. And that was because he said when he arrived at Bayern Munich, he, he had kind of arrived to play, so keep the ball on the deck and play very much his style of football. And then he realised he had Thomas Muller, Lewandowski, like uh, arriving in the field, he turned Javi Marti, sorry, um, Javi Garcia into this kind of weird six foot four ten, and he had players in the box, so they didn't mind crossing with Robin and Ribery because they knew they had aerial threats. And if you know, if Kane went to City, I'm sure those crosses would be beneficial because you have someone in there. But yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I think it was a. Uh, against maybe Fulham. I think Man United set the record in the Premier League a couple of years ago. They had something like 32 crosses in a match because David Moyes was playing United way. I'm sure it was like more than one a minute. It was something ridiculous. It was was like Moyes had come in and read the handbook and gone, right, well, what United do is we play wide. And he just said wingers crossing it in. And Fulham had one of those obscure players at centre-half who probably never played a Premier League minute again, but was like six foot seven. And was just clearing every mm. single one. And I do, I, as much as I think the centre backs, you know, I thought Dyer and Alderweireld did very well, I wasn't actually that impressed by clearing crosses because they're Dyer and Alderweireld. I would expect them to do that part of the game well. The moment for me, which was just the, the moment I kind of thought we'd actually have, I was like, we, we've got it today. This is different, was Toby's tackle. Yeah, there's a quote from Mourinho that he uses quite a lot, which I'm sure really gets the backs up of proper football lads, which is just, (laughs) (laughs) which is um, about controlling the ball or controlling the game without the ball, which is something that we did excellently. And you you touched on it earlier, George, but we let them play in the areas we wanted them to play. So we uh, we blocked off those those inner channels, but we and we forced them out wide. But we didn't let them let them cut in like they, their players would love to do. I mean, Reguillon on Mares was an absolute clinic in how to defend as a fullback. He was phenomenal. Mares, I didn't even notice he was on the pitch until he got substituted off. <laughs> <laughs> Last week in the pod, we were talking about Serge Aurier and that potentially being a weak spot. But I thought he was outstanding. He, he moved did... a lot of people off, didn't he? Because, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to hide here. Uh, I also regularly <laughs> slag him off. I am one of those. I will put my hands up uh, and I, I don't care. I'll say it again. But he, he's a weird player. He, he does seem to play well in big games. He's one of those players. But then, I mean, I know Antwerp was a write-up for everyone, but let's not forget he played in that game as well. Um, but at the same time, he was great against United at Old Trafford. So he, he really is a peculiar player, but he just did, he kept it simple. He did the simple things well. And I think that's what a lot of people did. And we keep, we keep saying it, it's efficiency. Um, Sissoko as well, I think the game suited him because he didn't have to 
be on the ball much. He just had to run a lot and be a nuisance, which <laughs> would suit him because he's very good at those. Uh, the whole playing with the spherical orb that we have to kick into a net is, is less of his thing. Um, so that suited him. I think the, the other thing that raised a lot of uh, eyebrows, not just Aurier's performance, but before the game even started, was Bergvine actually starting the game. Someone who was kicked out of the Dutch squad for not being fit enough, uh, allegedly. Uh, he certainly looked fit against City. Um, Ash, what, what did you think of his performance? Yeah, it was a typically industrious performance. He 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 made the fullbacks uh, work hard. He gave them something to think about rather than just, um, particularly with Walker. You know, if he gets a free run down that wing, he's going to cause you all sorts of problems. But he he marshaled him really well. He followed him when when Walker went in as well. So defensively, he. He put in a great shift, and he, you know, he gave us something going forward. He wasn't; it didn't look like at any point he was going to score, but he, um, he was an important part of a lot of the moves. Like when you mentioned the um, the Kane chance when he was offside, that that pass out to, um, to Son. It, well, I think it was him, or was it Ndombele? Yeah, Son, yeah, it, and Son's yeah, it was, yeah. He he came up in in important positions, but I think the the biggest credit to his game was was the job he did in Walker. If you wanted to play Son and a copycat of Son, which would be lovely to have, like if I could just clone him and just have another one. Sonny for days. Yeah, literally, if we could just have to do him. But if you, if you wanted to have that kind of balance where you have inside forwards who are fast, who work hard, who are smart technical players, can go either way, he's the closest thing to that that we have. For me, with Bergwijn, I'd love to see Bergwijn now get like a run of, three, four, five games in the Premier in the Premier League, not just in the Europa League, but give him the chance to to get to get into a rhythm of playing with Kane and Son. Because I do I, I think he's got he's got great feet, he's got pace, and he's only been in the country for you know for less than a year. Like it's not like he's uh you know he's been around for, for that long a time. I think we've got to give him a give him a chance. I, I heard something earlier on said elsewhere, I won't, won't take the credit for it, but it's an interesting thing to think about that if you look at Jose's signing since he's been at Spurs, um, the likes of him and Hoybier, Bale, La Celso, Reguillon, they've pretty much all come off. They've all added value to a starting eleven or a squad that's in development. If you contrast that to the shambles that he had at United, where pretty much every signing he made was a disaster, that it's an interesting point about how these things work and it's probably more of an indictment upon the way that Man United are run as a club uh, and how effectively Spurs are run under Levy that it just creates these circumstances where Jose can kind of get what he wants because things are working as opposed to kind of fighting against that that idea of having players (laughs) that doesn't really want that don't fit his style of play. Well, I think it's quite funny because I don't think the structure has changed that much since we had the guys that brought in the likes of Nkudus. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think I, I think there's an element, though. I think Jim touched on something really, really powerful there. Levy has fully bought into Mourinho. Like, if there's one thing that really stands out over the last year, isn't it? Is, yeah, I think he's a year and, like, four days into the job now. Mm. And Levy buys the Mourinho hype. Uh, he's gone out, he's paid the big money, he's on the big wages, he's backing up with his kind of signing. And, I, you know, the reality is we probably would have gone under Poch for someone a bit more like Max Ahrens at right back if we were, you know, still playing that kind of football. But 
what Mourinho didn't have at United was a director or, you know, a, a, a businessman running the club who said, right, I'm going to do it your way. What do you need? OK, what, you want a hulking great centre forward to play back up to Kane? I'll go get you one. You want, uh, you know, a more strong, uh, dominant right back rather than a younger, faster option to develop? OK, I'll get you, you know, the right guy. So the reason Mourinho, Mourinho signings are coming off in a way is that I think, you know, I, I'm, I would rather that we try to play progressive, high-tempo football and play higher up the pitch, right? I, I preferred watching Pochettino's style of football. But at least Levy, having made the decision to hire Mourinho, is, is backing him to go the Mourinho way. When Pochettino was in charge, he mentioned a lot about signing plays with the right profile and the right mentality, which is it's quite funny that we're actually doing that more now under Mourinho than we ever were under Poch. Like, Hoiberg came in and he's shown from the very get-go that he's very much a leader and uh, a typical midfield general. Um, and bringing Dyer into an important part of the team as well, when obviously Bale, we know what we, Bale brings and we know the experience he's got. Uh, so I think that is a big part of it, as well as the, the physical and the technical abilities that the players we brought in have got. It's, it's the mentality side of things has been very, very important. A very good friend of mine who is unfortunately a Chelsea fan said to me, you know, a friend of yours, surely. <laughs> said, he, he said to me, you know, you're going to have fun. And I was like, really? I was like, go on, tell me, tell me why, why this is going to be good. Tell me what I'm going to enjoy here. And he said to me, I, I promise you one thing, you're going to start really looking forward to the big games. He was like, because under Jose, you start to go into them and you back yourself and you back that he's prepared the team in a certain way. And the, the more games you build where you get these kind of statement results, the more you're going to kind of look forward to those games, which right now you're a bit kind of, I don't know, nervous of. Do you, do you kind of see where he's coming from a bit after after Saturday's game? Yeah, I do. And I, I buy into Mourinho a lot more now that no, no, I understand you know, better than the devil you know. Um, and now I understand the, the, the beast that he is. Um, I think it is quite flippant to say, I mentioned it earlier, that he is just a part of the bus man and we'll try and work it out from there with effective counters. He, he's he's a bit more than that. Obviously, that was how we beat City. But we then got to play Ludogorets on Thursday and a big game against Chelsea. But it's then it's the games against perhaps Palace. And we've got to play a certain way where we'll be seeing more of the ball and we have to break teams down. There is a bit more dynamism to Mourinho than a lot of lazy pundits will give credit, give him credit for. Particularly when you've got players in the team who can bring the incision and the pace on the counter, which which we have. Sorry, yeah, He's always got a plan and there's a very obvious uh, example of that, which is we, we mentioned Bergwijn earlier and I think we'll see him playing a lot of the games where we don't expect to have much of the ball um, against teams that we're likely to dominate, then it's probably more likely to be Bale with, with Son on the left. Well, that sounds like something I said weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I've got some good insight. <laughs> but for that reason, I don't think Bergwijn will get a run of games, like, mm. like Jules thinks. I think it will depend on the opposition. Unfortunate for Bergwijn, but look, look at the parallels between Bergwijn and Son, I'd say. And then this is why I put Bergwijn in the Sun category of signing and not the Nkudu category of signing. Um, Sun was about a 20-odd million pound player, came in, 
scored in his debut, looked lively, but did have actually quite a slow first season. It takes a year to settle in. So I will give Bergvine that time. He's got until the summer to impress me, and he probably will, but I don't think he will get that run in the side that some of us would like to see him do because he's got Mourinho's got to balance a big personality like Bale and Moira is an effective player. Lamella is going to come back into the squad. So there's going to have to be a lot of balancing. Um, and that's why we're not going to see him in a run of games. But that said, he will be effective, hopefully, when his time comes. Some interesting uh, quotes from Pep at the end. Clearly, he's saltier than the Dead Sea. Um, he told the BBC it could be better. We played similar to how we play have played all season. Uh, we did not defend good for the first goal. Then they defended so deep. He came across very Trump there. Uh, they defended <laughs> with six and it was not easy. We had our chances, but we couldn't score. Uh, and they have made two or three chances on the counter-attack and we lost the game. We knew that before the game that you cannot give them the first goal. We had more chances than them, but we lost. Mourinho's teams are like this. You make a mistake and they punish you on the counter-attack. Given all of that, he knew what was coming. And he, he couldn't deal with it. And I find it absolutely hilarious. And I don't know, apart from Arsenal, if there are actually any other teams I enjoy beating more than City. <laughs> I still think Chelsea are my 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 most sort of like infuriating opposition. But he runs them a close second. But I, in that way, given how much how salty he is and how much we dislike City as a club, as a podcast, it's wonderful to have the absolute shithouse that is Mourinho throwing out barbs every time we've got a match against them. (laughs) When he he came out with the stuff about Sterling um, having been called home with a sort of injury in very much inverted commas during the week and he'd put that out on Friday and he got the nibble out of Pep on Saturday morning before the game, I just thought, oh, that's delicious. Mourinho is somewhere somewhere right now (laughs) laughing his head off thinking... Good. I've uh, another little bit of bait. It's wonderful to see. You'd love to see it. You'd love to see it. Uh, Pep is the he's the kid at after school club that's sat sulking in the corner because he's had the PlayStation controller taken off him and somebody else has to have a go. He's the thing that always strikes me about him is how you, you, you mentioned him being salty and just chippy. He's he's a bad loser. Uh, I said on Saturday on our group chat that I was on the Fraudiola bandwagon. <laughs> when he was at Barcelona, and it was, and uh, Fen was like, "Yeah, of course you were." Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, look, Guardiola is a superb manager. That's obvious. But he is one of those people that's always had the ability to call upon whatever talent he wants to play the game in a way he wants to play it. One of my favourite quotes in football um, that I've seen banded around by a few people who are all generally the most insightful people in the game, is that without technique, there's no tactics. I haven't said that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you've got players with extraordinary technique and you can call upon whatever you want, then, of course, you have the luxury of being able to experiment and play the game in a way that's enjoyable, in a way you want to play. And, And Pep's Barcelona is probably the best team I've ever seen but there's been this fault with City for years now that anyone any one of us can see we mentioned last week all you have to do is get the ball in behind and you're going to beat them and if you go on match of the day and look at some pretty half-assed pundits they'll all tell you the same thing 
<laughs> and I, I just wonder whether he's so far... Like every manager knows his players better than armchair pundits, but I just wonder whether he's so far in with them all that he can't see the wood for the trees. It might be an ego thing as well, where he's like, nobody else can have the answer. I've got the answer. The way I play is the best way, and the way I play is the only way to win. I don't care about what anybody else has to say. I, I, I'd be surprised if he even watches the opposition because, like you said, it was so obvious how we were going to play. And there was that moment for the, um, I think it was for the second goal, where both centre-backs follow Kane into no man's lane. No, it was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, they follow Kane into no, no man's lane and leave some with a massive space to run. And if you didn't know that was going to happen, then what have you been doing for the last four or five days in training? If I was to compare him to a rock star, uh, which is how I live my life when looking at football managers, I'd probably go with um, Michael Stipe at RE. Not just physically. He, um, he's got that swag and arrogance of a, an old, bit alternative rock star who knows he's got it. But at the same time, it, it was absolutely hilarious to see him go from shiny, happy people to, to everybody hurts uh, in the space of nine minutes. That said, there's, there's a Good statistic going around. This is something for a bit of jewels. Um, I think it's they they call it PPDA, but it's basically yeah, jewels. He's nodding. He likes it. He's salivating. <laughs> On average, two seasons ago for City, it was like eight point something. Then it's risen to ten, and then now it's risen to eleven. And you can see that his way his way of success is to suffocate teams before they even start an attack. And he he seems to have lost that. And that really suits our system because that that's what we needed to to build was to be able to allow them to to not stop our attacks if that makes sense. I think that there's also I remember writing in and it actually got read out on the Guardian Football Weekly about three years ago. I calculated the amount of fouls that City make per minute of having the ball, and they make them they made at the time the most fouls. Um, like at the highest frequency of any team because they have the ball so much of the time that basically as soon as they don't have it, they clip your ankles, is the long story short. And everyone was saying that Cardiff were, you know, the rough team in the league under Warnock. Um, and Cardiff were about 14th. City, for me, that that's what always used to be so annoying about what they would do is that as soon as you would get the ball, before you'd even have the chance to to play one pass forward, Fernandinho would clip your ankles and sprint back towards the centre circle pretending he hadn't done anything. Pep's team don't do that so well anymore and that's how really we were able to release just if you can beat that initial press I think you're in you're, you're in at them. Um, it's exactly what, what Jim was alluding to. One person we haven't talked about at all yet um, almost like he didn't play but he did. You may have heard of him it's called Harry Kane. Um, <laughs> He, he had a fairly relatively quiet night for his sort of headlines that he normally grabs, but he was superbly effective, in my opinion, uh, yeah. in kind of defending from the front. My favourite moment of the entire game, you will definitely remember it. It's deeply ingrained uh, in my happy place, in my head, uh, is when he was just <laughs> gassing down the left wing and you see Rodri's trying to chase him late in the game. <laughs> Rodri just goes, oh, do you know what? <laughs> and he allows Diaz to come over, who then just fouls him and gets booked. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant to see the, the, the light go out of their eyes. It was fantastic. There was a moment there where I swear he was Didier Drogba. That's exactly what uh, Marina had Didier Drogba doing for Chelsea. It was, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, the, the key takeout stats for that game for 
for Kane are zero shots, six fouls gained, one assist. That's all, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, but I mean, you, you mentioned there about like favourite moment of the game, and I think Kane was involved in this in the the second goal. Just Kevin De Bruyne just flat on his ass with nothing he can do in his own area. That is just perfection. <laughs> I do I, I do think with Kane though, Fen, you touched on something interesting, which is also he looks fully fit. You know, I, I know he's mm-hmm. never going to be rapid, but there's been times when I've I felt like sort of he is a bit running through treacle and we're having to kind of really <laughs> carry a player. We've got I've got a run of games where there's only one game outside of London, and that's in Austria, which isn't, it's quite literally not the end of the world. Uh, we've got Ludogorets at home in the next game, then Chelsea away, uh, Lask away in Austria. It is Austria, isn't it, Jim? Yeah. Austria, then <laughs> Arsenal at home, Antwerp at home, Palace away, and that takes us to mid-December. Is, is there actually some real value in what is a very tough run of fixtures, not actually having to travel much? Travel is massively detrimental to players recovery not being able to stretch out properly not being able to get a good night's sleep like there is massive detriment having said that austria is not far enough that for me it's it's a worry i think if if midweek we were flying to play carabag then you know that's a different story i, I wouldn't take Kane to austria i'd leave him at home you know make sure he's make sure he's giving his body the best recovery time possible because as you say apart from that He's only got to sit sit in the car for an hour, so you know, <laughs> give him give him the best opportunity possible to recover. I think yes, travel to answer your question plays a big role and, and impacts on players' recovery. But at this stage, um, nothing is so bad coming up that that we should really worry. But we do need to worry about missing Toby Alderweireld, um, probably for the foreseeable. Um, could be a couple of months at worst. Uh, by the sounds of it. Uh, I thought he was world-class as well against City. Um, without going over it uh, again too much, uh, there, there was a, not just that last cast challenge that he did uh, against, was it Jesus or Ferran Torres or one of them? Anyway, it was Jesus, actually, yeah, it was a brilliant tackle. But it was more the ball, the clearance that he did that led to the La Chelsea goal. And it wasn't just uh, hoof-it channels. And this is why we go back to the efficiency of the, the Mourinho counter. It was a measured touch that he knew that I've got time not just to clear it, but to pick out a player in the middle of the park. And next thing you know, we've broken up the middle of the pitch and Luchelso has put one away within 35 seconds of being on the pitch. Yeah, it's going to be a big miss. Uh, the way he plays on the ball as much as his defensive capabilities are something that not many centre-backs can replace. Do you think there's a, there's a case maybe for also thinking about the kind of opposition that you're playing here because when you think of we've got Chelsea and then you've got Arsenal Chelsea have are playing at the moment Timo Werner on the sort of left sort of a front three really fast but Tammy Abraham through the middle is pretty good in the air actually mm-hmm. um, whereas when you play Arsenal Arsenal because they sold Giroud and they've only got Lacazette or Aubameyang Arsenal don't have a, a centre forward who's going to head the ball particularly well so I feel like Roden Roden against Chelsea, would I wouldn't be disappointed to see because I think you've got to deal with a, a target man forward. But against Arsenal, I'd worry about a Welsh lad who doesn't look like he he, he has many gears um, <laughs> to go <laughs> being, being lined up against Aubameyang. 
I'd like to see us go five at the back against Chelsea just because they essentially play three forwards, don't they, rather than wingers. So your solution is to play two of the bad centre-backs that we have <laughs> have here rather than three. Yeah, but they've got less they've got less responsibility riding on their shoulders. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of um, Tim Sherwood with A-levels, but the one thing that I will say... About That's him, Lampard for our listeners. <laughs> I'll say is that last time that we, we played them, Lampard kind of did a bit of a number on Mourinho. He changed, Lampard changed up his system to, to negate our strengths and to, and to kind of do us over. And they won 2-0. And that day, it was a bit of a Mourinho-esque. You know, they were up for it. They, were, they seemed sharper. They were better drilled. They had adjusted their system to neutralise us. Chelsea on Sunday for me is a really interesting matchup, and I I'm, I don't like it to be honest with you. <laughs> I was thinking earlier on about what I was gonna say, what I was thinking of for this game, and I was trying to think of a Premier League manager I would rather have less than Frank Lampard, and all I could come up with genuinely was Sean Dyke. There is no other manager in the Premier League I would rather have less than Frank Lampard. I think Steve, Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce <laughs> is. Okay, yeah, no, I forgot, a fair point, I forgot he existed. So, <laughs> Steve Bruce as well. But, Chelsea are a different proposition this year. The thing about Mourinho is he's the ultimate pragmatist. And I just think he is, for all his many faults, because he does have them, he is a better tactician than Frank Lampard. But, it's going to be fascinating because there's a, there's a possibility that this game becomes kind of unstoppable force meets a movable object because attacking-wise, Chelsea are very, 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 very good. And defensively, recently, Spurs have also been really good. On the flip side, Chelsea have tidied themselves up a bit at the back. I think they've still got problems at the back, but they're certainly a lot more organised than they were. And frankly, they didn't have a test at all against Newcastle the other day when I watched them. But Spurs for everything that's going well, do tend to have one way of attacking. And if you can nullify that, which you may well find, then you, you get this kind of matchup where in different thirds of the pitch, the weaknesses of one dovetail quite neatly with the strengths of the other. Uh, so, so it'd be a really interesting game. I wouldn't like to call it. Not liking to call it, though. What, what, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you think the score is going to be? Uh one all. <laughs> I don't know. I'm torn between Jim's idea that the two teams will cancel each other out to potentially a nil-nil, but I think there's just too many good attacking players on the pitch. Mourinho loves a big game, so I think we'll edge it 2-1. Well, I'm not usually a superstitious bastard, but I <laughs> I predicted <laughs> a loss last week and we won, so I'm a bit hesitant to, 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 to say we're going to win. I'm going to go 1-0 Tottenham win. I love you, Jules. I'm going to go to all draw. My my kind of key thought personally is that a lot of it will rest on how Region deals with Ziyech. I think the fact that we won't push up too high kind of negates Werner because he won't have the space to run into. But on the other flank, Ziyech has got an absolute wand of a left foot. Can I just take a step back because I've remembered two other managers that are also very forgettable but also exist. Um, so just for the record, I would also rather have Frank Lampard than either of David Moyes or Roy Hodgson. Agreed. 
God, what a dour, what a dour lot of human beings those are. Jesus. That said, um, just briefly on Chelsea before we move on, they have quietly moved into a very advantageous position within the league. Um, I don't. I think we we should actually give them some sort of respect for that. That said, they're not top of the league because we are. Um, <laughs> but Jim, you're the only person here who, who isn't a Spurs fan and therefore probably the most reasonably grounded out of all of us. Are we actually title contenders now? Yes. Um, <laughs> title contenders right now, yes. If your question was, will Spurs win the title? I would say no, uh, because because I think, frankly, it will be Liverpool again. I think I just think they've they've got enough to get over the line. But nine games in, not winning the title would not be a disaster, would it? It's about I think Mourinho nailed it. It's about progression. He took over a team that was in a bit of a mess and going in the wrong direction, and a year later, top of the table and seemingly buying into what he wants to do and I think I'd be interested it would either of you be happy if you were guaranteed to finish Champions League right now knowing that you have a good season probably I'd, I'd snap your hand off absolutely yeah so <laughs> so I think, do it now. You know, <laughs> I think if we just look at it in 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 that sense okay probably won't in the league but um no team is in a better position and that's a nice that's a nice place to be. So I did a bit of stats fun, mainly for Jules's benefit. <laughs> not nine games, and it's not very far into the season, but I looked at the table and thought, 20 points, top of the league, that's not particularly amazing. And there were only four occasions previously in the Premier League era, because obviously football started in 1992, we all know that. There have only been four other occasions where after nine games, the team that's top has had 20 points or fewer. Of the 28 completed seasons, the side that's topped this early on has only gone on to win it 12 times. So you've got a, got, a, got a chance. But it's kind of indicative of the fact that the league is a little bit more open this year and the standard maybe isn't as high as it normally is. And it's I, I think it's probably because you've got this clutch of teams at the bottom, uh, Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United, Newcastle, Burnley, that are hopeless. And then you've got uh, Liverpool, City, Spurs, Chelsea at the top that I think are in their own bracket. And then everyone else in between has the capability to be great or crap game to game. (laughs) And I think that, you know, that means that it's probably a little bit more open than usual. And that that maybe counts in Spurs' favour, but I also think there's a propensity for off days against teams that, probably shouldn't have off days against. Newcastle won all would feel very much like that. (laughs) Exactly. So on the subject of that, 10 teams have been top after nine games. Go. Newcastle. Correct. Chelsea, Arsenal, United. Chelsea, Arsenal, United, yeah. Leicester. Rovers. No, no. Everton. No. Bolton. It's going to be like Blackpool or someone, isn't it? No. Yeah. Aston Villa. Yes. There you go. Who else has been had strangely good runs at the start of the season? Not like a Fulham or someone, is it? Yeah, Southampton. Um, no. Oh. Everton. Leeds. Yeah. Got four. Swindon left. Town. No. 
Nottingham Forest? No. Who else have we mentioned? Sunderland. Top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then they just stop <laughs> after nine games. I don't know. Uh, Portsmouth. No, you've not named the two obvious ones. I don't think. Have we mentioned them? City. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's run through it. Right. United, City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, Liverpool. Liverpool. Like, yeah. Is are any of those? Yeah, you got all those. One left, and they were top. After nine games of the very first Premier League season, and then Shall completely we? fell apart. We said Blackburn as well. Is it someone obscure who's no longer in the Premier League? They are no longer in the Premier League, but they're not obscure. They're often in the Premier League. Norwich. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Man United are the best team at closing out when they've been top at this point. 80% of the time, they've gone on to win it. City, 60%. Chelsea and Liverpool, 50%. Arsenal, 33 They're the bottle jobs of the Premier League. Uh, <laughs> and Leeds, Villa, Newcastle and Norwich have been top. Uh, Newcastle on three occasions, but they've never gone on to win it. Been a bleak lockdown. Hopefully you've been entertained uh, by this podcast during it. Uh, we've had some welcome news today from the, the big man, the big old BJ, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister, has said that some fans will be allowed back into games. Uh, come December, um, Jim, you you are the news. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I I've kind of got mixed views on it. Like as a football fan, I think it's a really good thing that fans can go back. So it's uh, up to four thousand fans in areas that are going to be tier one, uh, up to two thousand in areas that are tier two, and nobody in tier three. Um, now, for a few weeks, I've kind of I've seen people online talking about um, the let fans in hashtag and how unfair it was that football was going on and people can't watch it. And you see sort of the next breath, 600, 500, 700 people a day uh, still dying and just sort of thinking, how tone deaf can you be? But on the other hand, we've all... We, we, we all love the game as much as anyone and it's one of the most uplifting things you can do to go to a football match and I just think if it can be done safely to get even if it's a few thousand people back in again is maybe just a sign that life's going back to normal and at Premier League level if for example we don't know this but if Spurs um, can have a few people in it looks like London could be level two so there might be scope for 2,000 Spurs fans at Wyatt Lane Sure, it's not going to be the atmosphere that it would be if there were sixty thousand people there, but might just help to create a bit of bit of buzz and a bit of excitement. And um, and the sooner that everybody can be back and we can get back to actually football as a spectacle rather than a product, then uh, I'm sure it's going to be good fun for everyone. Couldn't agree more. I think that's that's spot on. I think it's. Uh... I, I completely agree as well. There's a there's a weird kind of a debate that I think we all probably have in our heads about the fact that we'd like to go back, but you look at what's going on, the deaths and things, and think, well, how can I justify risking, you know, someone, someone's, you know, father or or grandfather or grandmother, etc., you know, ha- contracting COVID because I want to go to the game, um, and I think it's hard to get away from that. I mean, personally, for me, the only thing I, I would say is I don't see why I'm allowed to go and play with random strangers every Saturday, but you're not allowed to go and sit two metres away from strangers every Saturday. 
Um, admittedly, my marking's quite bad, so I'm probably <laughs> at all times. But you know, I, I do think there's a question about if 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 you're allowed to do other things outdoors, and that would bring you as much happiness as it would bring as it brings me to be able to play my next match, which will be Saturday the 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 fifth. Will that be um, or the sixth? Um, you know, is there not as much of a case that you know Jim should be able to go what watch Stockport? Well, I don't think Jim even wants that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I've got to agree with that. There has to be a balance. If I can, I'm a frequent pub goer, as you all know, and obviously the aim of this podcast is to be able to sit down in a pub and be able to record this in in person, um, which we're probably pretty close to be able to do in December. And I think if the powers that be say that it's safe for us to do that, then it's surely safe enough for us to socially distanced by sitting outside and in view of a football pitch. I, I can't see an issue with that, really. Um, if everyone's sensible, bearing in mind the, the Park Lane end at Spurs holds 17,000 people. Uh, and yeah, realistically, we're probably only going to see 2,000 people in the entire ground. I mean, the chances of you bumping into someone are actually probably lower than actually getting a tube to the game. I think it can be done safely if people are sensible, which is what it will always boil down to. So let's try it and if people are sensible then let's crack on ludicrous on thursday um no point previewing them we've sort of done them we know what we're up against uh quick scores on the doors uh jules what are you thinking uh two nil win and hopefully vinicius to break his duck like ash four nil bold yeah three one spurs oh no clean sheet how dare you uh <laughs> I think I'm also going to go with a fairly sizable win, 3 0. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I'm Spurs, and we'll see you next time.